Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. Welcome to our last episode. After last week's episode, my Aunt Lynn, shout out to Marilyn Machetta, Catholic Light Podcast listener, faithful listener from the beginning, uh, texted me saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe this was the penultimate episode. I was like, I know. Also, great use of the word penultimate, <laughs> second to last. Um, so here we are in our last episode. And on today's episode, we round out our discussion of the Our Father and discuss the last three petitions. And the first of those three last petitions are forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, which as twenty-eight paragraph 2838 says, this petition is astonishing. <laughs> so um, as we go through, you know, our, our last uh, discussion here on the catechism, um, I, I'd like to bring up just once again how our Catholic faith is is just really amazing, and it's really easy to to take it for granted or to get kind of lulled into, like, yeah, this is what we believe, and this is what we pray, and you know, here's what the church proposes. But when we stop and and really think about it, and when we bring it to prayer, when we reflect and reflect on it, meditate with it, um, it's really astonishing. <laughs> so, for example, that we pray, Lord, forgive us. As we forgive others. And I don't know about you, but I can say for myself that if I pause for a moment and think about people I've forgiven lately or people I need to forgive, people I'm withholding forgiveness from, from whom I'm withholding forgiveness at the moment, I just think, blah, Lord, don't forgive me that way. <laughs> don't take me as your your lead or don't follow my lead um, because I am certainly not as generous in my forgiveness as I hope the Lord is generous with me. So please, Jesus, give me the grace, give each of us the grace to forgive others as we hope, as we pray, as we desire uh, that you forgive us. So if we just flip back for a moment to paragraph 2759, uh, if you're looking at the physical catechism, we have that nice, neat little box uh, where the catechism goes line by line through the Our Father. And again, today we, we finish our discussion with petitions five, six, and seven. So petition five is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The sixth petition is and lead us not into temptation. And then the seventh and final petition is deliver us from evil. So forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 2838 says this petition is astonishing. If it consisted, so if the petition consisted only of the first phrase and forgive us our trespasses, it might have been included implicitly in the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, since Christ's sacrifice is that sins may be forgiven. So the first three petitions, uh, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The catechism is telling us here <clears throat> that were it not for that, as we forgive those, or as we forgive those who have sinned against us, then that forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins, 
um, could be implied or just understood, kind of tucked up in, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Just forgiving our sins um, is, is part of all that, because why did Christ come to suffer and die, but to save us from our sins? But... The paragraph goes on to say, according to the second phrase, our petition will not be heard unless we have first met a strict requirement. Our petition looks to the future, but our response must come first, for the two parts are joined by the single word as. So according to the second phrase, as we forgive those who trespass against us, our petition will not be heard. So our sins will not be forgiven unless we have first met a strict requirement. Whew! That gives us pause for for uh, for thought, for further consideration, for for petitioning God even more. So God give us the grace. Twenty eight thirty nine goes on to say, with bold confidence, we began praying to our Father. So we begin this whole prayer. We began this whole prayer by saying, "Our Father," which is confident, addressing. God, the creator of the universe, as our Father. In begging him that his name be hallowed, we were in fact asking him that we ourselves might be always made more holy. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, recall we said on last week's episode, two episodes ago, that, um, no, last week's episode, that God God is the one who makes holy. So he, he's not teaching us to pray that his name be holy, as though we're like affecting that that holiness of his name. He is holy, and he's the one who affects the holiness. And so by praying, hallowed be thy name, we're bringing before our eyes, we're um, turning back to God who is holy and being reminded that we too are called to be holy. So the, the Lord says in a number of ways throughout scripture, be holy as I am holy, or be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so when we pray, hallowed be thy name, um, we are praying for the grace to be holy as our father is holy. And again, I think it's easy just to, you know, say it again and again. We're used to this prayer. We hear it a lot. We say it a lot. Um, But what we're really asking is, God, make us holy as you are holy. And if we stop and think about what that entails, it's hard. It's hard to be and become more holy, to to let go of our sins, to repent of our sins, uh, to let go of our attachments, um, those things that that hold us back um, from God and from being and becoming the men and women that he created us to be. Paragraph 2839 goes on to say, but though we are clothed with the baptismal garment, so those, though we have been baptized, the original sin has been washed away, we do not cease to sin, to turn away from God. So unfortunately, the, the wound of original sin, that scar, that tendency or inclination to sin remains with us. Now in this new petition, we return to him like the prodigal son. So when we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And like the tax collector, recognize that we are sinners before him. Our petition begins with a confession of our wretchedness and his mercy. Our hope is firm because in his son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And this last line is great. We find the efficacious and undoubted sign of his forgiveness in the sacraments of his church. So it, it could be very easy if, if we really think about this and um, 
you know, reflect on this line, forgive us as we forgive those, we forgive others, it's, it might lead us to think like, ah, like I'm not, I stink at forgiveness. Um, how do I, I actually would like to forgive this person, but he or she has really hurt me and I don't quite know how to do it. So if, if I can't forgive, then does that mean God can't forgive me? And so the catechism reminds us our hope is firm because Christ instituted the sacraments, one of which is the sacrament of confession. And he promises that if we come to him in the sacrament of confession, um, we will receive his grace his healing mercy and forgiveness, and be set free from our sin, to, to pick back up and start again, uh, to begin anew, um, and by his grace to, God willing, draw closer and closer to him. Paragraph 2840 says, Now, and this is daunting, so the catechism says, this is daunting, this outpouring of mercy cannot penetrate our hearts as long as we have not forgiven those who have trespassed against us. So again, this outpouring of mercy cannot penetrate our hearts as long as we have not forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Um, I think this gets, once again, at one of those Catholic misconceptions or misconceptions of the Catholic Church and of God, that um, God is not out to get us, and it's not as though he's saying, um, you know, like in kind of like this nana na boo boo kind of way, like, I'm not going to forgive you unless you forgive other people or like, you know, wait, what's that saying? Uh, whatever you say to me or like, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say to me bounces off me and sticks to you. <laughs> I used to say that when we were little. And so God's saying like, you know, the way that you forgive others, that's how I'm going to forgive you. Like, let's see how you do it. Ha ha ha. No, w- what the catechism reminds us here is that, um, we, if we're not forgiving other people, it's not like God's like arms crossed across, uh, across, crossed across his chest, folded across his chest, uh, as though God's saying, like, you know, until you forgive, like, I won't forgive you. It, the catechism reminds us, no, it's like our own disposition that gets in the way. Um, if we're not forgiving others, then there's this this hardness in our hearts or this closed offness. Um, and so God's love and mercy and forgiveness actually can't penetrate our hearts and our lives. We're, we're not open to receive it. So it's not, God's not saying like, like, I won't forgive you. So he's wagging his finger at us. He's saying, I, I respect your free will and you are closed off right now. So I can't, I can't pour my mercy and love and forgiveness on you because you are not open to receive it. Like it, it just falls to the ground around you. And so this petition in the Our Father it reminds us that forgiveness, yes, is for others, um, but it's it's also in large part for us. So when we forgive, we extend that that healing, that mercy, that forgiveness to others, but we also extend it to ourselves. We extend that grace, that love, that goodness to ourselves, um, which then opens us up to receive the more that that God has for us. I went to confession this week and I was, you know, confessing my sins and I get to the end and the priest, as he's kind of like guiding me through, he says, and thank God for the sacrament. You know, you, you know, you can just come again and again and God will forgive you. God will heal you. God will set you free. He said, your job is not to get in the way of it. <laughs> so come to the sacrament, be open to what God has for you. And 
uh, I simultaneously, when he said that, I rejoiced in my heart. But then I also felt a a touch of sadness. And I walked away thinking, like, why am I sad (laughs) by that comment? And I realized that um, I think somewhere deep inside, I think, maybe subconsciously, unconsciously, I think, like, oh, I'm on this like self-improvement project so that I can present myself to God and say like, okay, like I'm good now. I'm not attached to anything. I didn't commit any sins. I love you. Like here I am, your shiny little Rebecca, giving myself as a gift to you. And what this priest through his words unknowingly reminded me is that um, I can't do it of my own accord. This is not a self-improvement project. In fact, we as a human race were so unable to improve ourselves, to dig us out of, out of our hole, that Christ, God himself, second person of the Trinity, comes to earth to suffer and die to save us, to dig us out of that hole and set us back on our feet. And he continues to, to come to us, to offer us that again and again and again through the sacrament of confession. And so we, we need to get out of our own ways and uh, allow God to heal us, to forgive us, and to give us the grace to forgive others so that they too may experience that healing, that mercy, that forgiveness, but so that we are in the process opened to receive his healing, forgiveness, mercy, and love. 2841 says, uh, this petition is so important that it is the only one to which the Lord returns and which he develops explicitly in the Sermon on the Mount. So this petition of the seven petitions of the Our Father is the only one to which Christ returns in his Sermon on the Mount when he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. If we are merciful, if we are forgiving, then we are open to receive that mercy, that forgiveness of God. Paragraph 2843 says, Thus the Lord's words on forgiveness, the love that loves to the end, becomes a living real excuse me become a living reality the parable of the merciless servant which crowns the lord's teaching on ecclesial communion ends with these words so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart so this is the the parable where uh, the servant is forgiven by his master completely forgiven of his debt and then he turns around to his like subservant and basically like shakes him shakes all the change out of his pocket you know says like i won't forgive you until you've paid the last penny and then the the fellow servants go to the master and say like look what this guy did you just forgave him but he's not forgiven anybody um so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart it is there in fact in the depths of the heart that everything is bound and loosed So forgiven and not forgiven. It is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense, but the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory in transforming the hurt into intercession. So again, it is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense. Um, Sometimes as Christians, as Catholics, I think we and maybe I'll just speak for myself, kind of like fake it till we make it. Like, okay, as a Christian, I'm supposed to like turn the other cheek, speak softly, forgive my enemies. And so like, no big deal. It's all good. But it's really, it's not good. Um, many of us are are truly hurt um, by others. And so as the catechism says, it's not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense. Um so what, what can we do? We can offer our hearts to God and say, God, 
I, I don't know how to forgive this person. I don't think I should forgive this person. Um, but I give you my heart because I know that this, this is what you command. This is how you teach me to pray. And so you do it, Lord, because <laughs> I don't know how to do it. Uh, I might have mentioned um, on a previous episode, I had a, a former colleague way back um, who was very, our interactions were very difficult. And here I was teaching theology and holding this resentment in my heart against this this person. And so I I would go to pray for him and I, I couldn't, like, I God bless, give me the grace to, and it was like, oh, like I, I had a really hard time doing it. And so I started praying. I said, God, give me the grace to pray for this man. Give me the grace uh, give me the words, or simply just I entrust him to you because I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> and I don't know what to do with myself in regards to him because bleh, I don't want to pray for him, and I don't think he deserves my prayers. And then Jesus said, well, let's just pray the Our Father together, Rebecca, because as you forgive others, that's how I forgive you. Bah! So uh, again, it is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense, but the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory in transforming the hurt into intercession. So if we can give our hearts, um, give these people these hurts, these offenses, um, again, things that were were truly horribly done to us, um, offer them up to God, try to imagine ourselves like placing them at the foot of the cross or, or placing them in in God's hands or entrusting them to our Blessed Mother that she may entrust them to the Lord. And then just let God do his work because, um, again, I'll, I'll just speak for myself, but, but sometimes I think as Christians we try to do these like mental gymnastics where we like either like make it okay or justify it or tell ourselves like this is what I should think and feel according to what the scriptures say or what the church teaches. And um, one, it's exhausting. <laughs> and two, uh, I don't know that it, you know, I don't know that it's like healthy or accomplishes much. Um, and so we can make this act of trust, this act, act of surrender and simply place these things, these people, these situations in the hands of the Father and, uh, you know, pray for the grace, like, God, you tell me to forgive, so I forgive this person, or give me the grace to forgive this person, and please forgive me as well for, for the things that I've done to others, um, many of which might be things I don't even realize I've done. Um, I, I might not know, you know, the people whom I have hurt who might be holding resentment against me, and so please give them the grace to forgive me as well. The sixth petition then uh, begins in paragraph 2846 and lead us not into temptation. It is difficult to translate the Greek verb used by a single English word. The Greek means both do not allow us to enter into temptation and do not let us yield to temptation. God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. On the contrary, he wants to set us free from evil. We ask him not to allow us to take the way that leads us to sin. So evil is not of God. God does not will evil. Um, he does not will us to experience evil, but he uh, allows evil, one, he respects 
our free will. And so we can choose for him. We can choose against him. And when we choose against him, sin and evil do their damage in our lives and in the lives of others. And so we can make that distinction between God's perfect will and God's permissive will. So his perfect will is that all may be saved, that no one may sin, um, that we all turn to him and experience that truth, beauty, and goodness in all of its fullness, in all of his fullness. Um, but again, because he respects our free will, he allows or permits things to happen. And so when these things happen, we say that's a part of his permissive will. So he does not want me to, um, you know, suffer and be sad or uh, be injured by another. But um, he allows that to happen, again, because he respects our free will, and also because um, he can draw greater good out of it. Paragraph 2847 then quotes Origen as saying, God does not want to impose the good, but wants free beings. So God, who is all-powerful, he could have made us, and he could continue to make us if he so desired, uh, such that we had to do the, had to choose the good, that we could not sin or turn from him. But um, he does not want to impose the good because that is not love. Arjun goes on to say, there is a certain usefulness to temptation. No one but God knows what our soul has received from him, not even we ourselves. So God has gifted each of us um, in unique ways. And what Arjun goes on to say here is that we often don't know those gifts or we don't know those strengths, capabilities that God has given us, given to us um, until we're tempted or tried. And then, you know, we have this opportunity to draw from the depths and realize like, oh, I didn't know I was capable of that. Or I didn't know that, you know, God gave me this gift or that I'm actually good at that or, you know, calm under pressure, you know, strong in, in times of distress, etc. So Arjun goes on to say, uh, but temptation reveals it in order to teach us to know ourselves. And in this way, we discover our evil inclinations and are obliged to give thanks for the goods that temptation has revealed to us. So on the one hand, temptation, trials, sufferings reveal to us like more and more of who we are and what God has given us. Um, and it's like, oh, hey look at that. Didn't know I could do that. But then on the other hand, uh, in this way, we discover our evil inclinations. So we realize too, like, oh, I'm not actually as good as I thought I was or as strong as I thought I was or as wholly virtuous, etc., as I thought I was. And so that's an opportunity for humility to turn back to God. God, give me the grace um, to be and become the person you created me to be, to rely on you, on your grace, your strength, etc. I used to teach with a, a priest who was just fabulous, fabulous priest. Um, but periodically he would say, as people were praising him for his many gifts, he would say, well, thank you and thank God because God has given me the grace to, to do this, to be here, um, to be who I am today because given the right circumstances, I'm actually capable of anything. So had this not happened, had I not been born to wonderful parents who raised me Catholic, who fostered a vocation to the priesthood, like who, who knows where I could be or what I would be doing. Um, and so, but for the grace of God, go I. Here I am because of his grace. The catechism then ends with the seventh petition, but deliver us from evil. And paragraph 2851 says, in this petition, evil is not an abstraction, but refers to a person Satan, the evil one, the angel who opposes God. 
And paragraph 2854 goes on to say, when we ask to be delivered from the evil one, we pray as well to be freed from all evils, present, past, and future, of which he is the author or instigator. So again, this the evil in the world comes from the devil, not from God. God is not the author of evil. Um, and it enters the world through our own free will, through us saying yes to it, participating in it. And so we pray, our Father, deliver us from evil, past, present, and future, all of us, the world, uh, and each of us individually. The Catechism then concludes uh, with Article 4, the final doxology. A doxology is a, a liturgical or like formal in a church setting, <laughs> prayerful setting, a liturgical formula of praise to God. So this is where we pray at Mass um, after the Our Father, uh, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. So 2855 says, the final doxology for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever takes up again by inclusion the first three petitions to our Father, the glorification of his name, the coming of his reign, and the power of his saving will. So when we pray for the kingdom, we're reiterating, thy kingdom come, the power, we're saying again, thy will be done, and the glory are yours. Uh, we're saying, hallowed be thy name once again. 2856 then says, then after the prayer is over, you say amen, which means so be it, thus ratifying with our amen what is contained in the prayer that God has taught us. So God teaches us to pray this, our Father, and we conclude with amen saying, yep, that's what I believe. And so we pray, Lord, for the grace to pray this prayer that you taught us, pray thee, our Father, well. Um, to consider each line and its beautiful meaning. And we thank you for the gift of prayer, the gift of the sacraments, the gift of your healing, tender, merciful forgiveness, and give us the grace to uh, forgive others as we wish to be forgiven by you. Preserve us and those whom we love from temptation, from evil. Give us the grace to keep your name holy to look to you as the source of holiness that we may be holy as well. We thank you for loving us, for having a plan for us, and for walking with us each step of the way. We offer this up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our discussion of the Catechism. Again, God bless you for uh, working through this, this wonderful book, this wonderful um, collection of, of the teachings of our Catholic faith. Um, this will end here for now, our Catholic Light podcast. Um, I have been getting like a couple kind of miscellaneous questions. So on the Catholic Light Instagram page, I'll post after this episode airs, I'll post um, a tile asking if anyone has any questions, and then I'll, I'll answer those questions either in the comments section or uh, with short little videos. Um, but as for our podcast, now we, uh, I, I bid you adieu and uh, thank you for, again, walking this, this journey with me step by step. I encourage you to um, share this with family, friends, colleagues, those who might have questions about the, the Catholic faith. And I pray that God blesses you immensely in, uh, in your work, your station in life, blesses you, your family and friends, and uh, may you be and become the men and women he created you to be. So know of my prayers for you. Please pray for me. And now we'll take a brief break, return on the second half of the episode to read our last uh, reading selection of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Thanks for sticking around. 
You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read paragraphs 2838 through 2865 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This petition is astonishing. If it consisted only of the first phrase, and forgive us our trespasses, it might have been included implicitly in the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, since Christ's sacrifice is that sins may be forgiven. But, according to the second phrase, our petition will not be heard unless we have first met a strict requirement. Our petition looks to the future, but our response must come first, for the two parts are joined by the single word, as. And forgive us our trespasses. With bold confidence, we began praying to our Father. In begging him that his name be hallowed, we were in fact asking him that we ourselves might be always made more holy. But though we are clothed with the baptismal garment, we do not cease to sin, to turn away from God. Now, in this new petition, we return to him like the prodigal son, and, like the tax collector, recognize that we are sinners before him. Our petition begins with a confession of our wretchedness and his mercy. Our hope is firm, because in his son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We find the efficacious and undoubted sign of his forgiveness in the sacraments of his church. Now, and this is daunting, this outpouring of mercy cannot penetrate our hearts as long as we have not forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Love, like the body of Christ, is indivisible. We cannot love the God we cannot see if we do not love the brother or sister we do see. In refusing to forgive our brothers and sisters, our hearts are closed and their hardness makes them impervious to the Father's merciful love. But in confessing our sins, our hearts are opened to his grace. This petition is so important that it is the only one to which the Lord returns and which he develops explicitly in the Sermon on the Mount. This crucial requirement of the covenant mystery is impossible for man, but with God all things are possible. As we forgive those who trespass against us. This as is not unique in Jesus' teaching. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It is impossible to keep the Lord's commandment by imitating the divine model from outside. There has to be a vital participation coming from the depths of the heart in the holiness and the mercy and the love of our God. Only the Spirit by whom we live can make ours the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Then the unity of forgiveness becomes possible and we find ourselves forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us. Thus the Lord's words on forgiveness, the love that loves to the end, become a living reality. The parable of the merciless servant, which crowns the Lord's teaching on ecclesial communion, ends with these words, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It is there, in fact, in the depths of the heart, that everything is bound and loosed. It is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense, but the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit turns injury into compassion and purifies the memory in transforming the hurt into intercession. Christian prayer extends to the forgiveness of enemies, 
transfiguring the disciple by configuring him to his master. Forgiveness is a high point of Christian prayer. Only hearts attuned to God's compassion can receive the gift of prayer. Forgiveness also bears witness that in our world, love is stronger than sin. The martyrs of yesterday and today bear this witness to Jesus. Forgiveness is the fundamental condition of the reconciliation of the children of God with their Father and of men with one another. There is no limit or measure to this essentially divine forgiveness, whether one speaks of sins as in Luke or debts as in Matthew. We are always debtors. Owe no one anything except to love one another. The communion of the Holy Trinity is the source and criterion of truth in every relationship. It is lived out in prayer, above all in the Eucharist. God does not accept the sacrifice of a sower of disunion, but commands that he depart from the altar so that he may first be reconciled with his brother. For God can be appeased only by prayers that make peace. To God, the better offering is peace, brotherly excuse me, concord, and a people made one in the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's St. Cyprian. And lead us not into temptation. This petition goes to the root of the preceding one. For our sins result from our consenting to temptation. We therefore ask our Father not to lead us into temptation. It is difficult to translate the Greek verb used by a single English word. The Greek means both do not allow us to enter into temptation and do not let us yield to temptation. God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. On the contrary, he wants to set us free from evil. We ask him not to allow us to take the way that leads to sin. We are engaged in the battle between flesh and spirit. This petition implores the spirit of discernment and strength. The Holy Spirit makes us discern between trials, which are necessary for the growth of the inner man, and temptation, which leads to sin and death. We must also discern between being tempted and consenting to temptation. Finally, discernment unmasks the lie of temptation, whose object appears to be good, a delight to the eyes and desirable, when in reality its fruit is death. God does not want to impose the good, but wants free beings. There is a certain usefulness to temptation. No one but God knows what our soul has received from him, not even we ourselves. But temptation reveals it in order to teach us to know ourselves, And in this way, we discover our evil inclinations and are obliged to give thanks for the goods that temptation has revealed to us. Lead us not into temptation implies a decision of the heart. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. No one can serve two masters. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. In this ascent to the Holy Spirit, the Father gives us strength. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Such a battle and such a victory become possible only through prayer. It is by his prayer that Jesus vanquishes the tempter, both at the outset of his public mission and in the ultimate struggle of his agony. In this petition to our Heavenly Father, Christ unites us to his battle and his agony. He urges us to vigilance of the heart in communion with his own. Vigilance is custody of the heart, and Jesus prayed for us to the Father. Keep them in your name. The Holy Spirit constantly seeks to awaken us to keep watch. Finally, this petition takes on all its dramatic meaning in relation to the last temptation of our earthly battle. It asks for final perseverance. Lo, I am coming like a thief. 
Blessed is he who is awake. But deliver us from evil. The last petition to our Father is also included in Jesus' prayer. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. It touches each of us personally, but it is always we who pray in communion with the whole church for the deliverance of the whole human family. The Lord's Prayer continually opens us to the range of God's economy of salvation. Our interdependence in the drama of sin and death is turned into solidarity in the body of Christ, the communion of saints. In this petition, evil is not an abstraction, but refers to a person, Satan, the evil one, the angel who opposes God. The devil, Diabolos, is the one who throws himself across God's plan and his work of salvation accomplished in Christ. A murderer from the beginning, a liar and the father of lies, Satan is the the deceiver of the whole world. Through him, sin and death entered the world, and by his definitive defeat, all creation will be freed from the corruption of sin and death. Now we know that anyone born of God does not sin, but he who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is in the power of the evil one. The Lord who has taken away your sin and pardoned your faults also protects you and keeps you from the wiles of your adversary, the devil, so that the enemy, who is accustomed to leading into sin, may not surprise you. One who entrusts himself to God does not dread the devil. If God is for us, who is against us? That's St. Ambrose. Victory over the prince of this world was won once for all at the hour when Jesus freely gave himself up to death to give us his life. This is the judgment of this world, and the prince of this world is cast out. He pursued the woman, but had no hold on her. The new Eve, full of grace of the Holy Spirit, is preserved from sin and the corruption of death. The Immaculate Conception and the Assumption of the Most Holy Mother of God, Mary Ever Virgin. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. Therefore, the Spirit and the Church pray, Come, Lord Jesus, since his coming will deliver us from the evil one. When we ask to be delivered from the evil one, we pray as well to be freed from all evils, present, past, and future, of which he is the author or instigator. In this final petition, the church brings before the Father all the distress of the world. Along with deliverance from the evils that overwhelm humanity, she implores the precious gift of peace and the grace of perseverance in expectation of Christ's return. By praying in this way, she anticipates in humility of faith the gathering together of everyone and everything in him who has the keys of death and Hades, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Deliver us, Lord, we beseech you, from every evil and grant us peace in our day, so that aided by your mercy we might be ever free from sin and protected from all anxiety as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's from the Roman Missal. Article 4, The Final Doxology. The final doxology, for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever, takes up again by inclusion the first three petitions to our Father, the glorification of his name, the coming of his reign, and the power of his saving will. But these prayers are now proclaimed as adoration and thanksgiving, as in the liturgy of heaven. The ruler of this world has mendaciously attributed to himself the three titles of kingship, power, and glory. Christ the Lord restores them to his Father and our Father until he hands over the kingdom to him when the mystery of salvation will be brought to its completion and God will be all in all.
Then, after the prayer is over, you say, Amen, which means, so be it, thus ratifying with our Amen what is contained in the prayer that God has taught us. In brief, in the Our Father, the object of the first three petitions is the glory of the Father, the sanctification of his name, the coming of the kingdom, and the fulfillment of his will. The four others present our wants to him. They ask that our lives be nourished, healed of sin, and made victorious in the struggle of good over evil. By asking, Hallowed be thy name, we enter into God's plan, the sanctification of his name, revealed first to Moses and then in Jesus, by us and in us, in every nation and in each man. By the second petition, the church looks first to Christ's return and the final coming of the reign of God. It also prays for the growth of the kingdom of God in the today of our own lives. In the third petition, we ask our Father to unite our will to that of his Son, so as to fulfill his plan of salvation in the life of the world. In the fourth petition, by saying, Give us, we express in communion with our brethren our filial trust in our Heavenly Father. Our daily bread refers to the earthly nourishment necessary to everyone for subsistence and also to the bread of life, the Word of God and the body of Christ. It is received in God's today as the indispensable, super essential nourishment of the feast of the coming kingdom anticipated in the Eucharist. The fifth petition begs God's mercy for our offenses, mercy which can penetrate our hearts only if we have learned to forgive our enemies with the example and help of Christ. When we say, lead us not into temptation, we are asking God not to allow us to take the path that leads to sin. This petition implores the spirit of discernment and strength. It requests the grace of vigilance and final perseverance. In the last petition, but deliver us from evil, Christians pray to God with the church to show forth the victory, already won by Christ, over the ruler of this world, Satan, the angel personally opposed to God and to his plan of salvation. By the final amen, we express our fiat concerning the seven petitions. So be it. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode, and the end of the catechism. So thanks again for joining me. Um, Between this week's episode and maybe the next time we meet, Uh, Please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.